Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm here at my co-host Claire O'Connor. And as always, we're here to look at the news and the weekend papers of the week uh, from a left perspective. And The Week at Work is part of Left Blocked, a political education media project. And you can find more about us um, on patreon.com slash leftblock. So Claire, you wanted to tell us a bit about this week. Um, there's a huge demonstration show of solidarity in Dublin um, that you were part of um, making happen. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it was a really broad group of people. I mean, it came together really quickly. I got involved maybe about three weeks ago through Lakeley, which was, you know, initially set up as a kind of very broad alliance of activists, political parties, NGOs to oppose the far right, but also give people a route to direct their very legitimate anger with the government. So it is about kind of housing issues, it's policy issues, it's cost of living stuff. So Lakeley has kind of called it and opened it up to a really broad range of people, basically anybody that wanted to get involved and make this an event could. And the response was just massive. I mean, it was like, I don't think any of us expected it to be so big. I think it really spoke to the, the level of feeling out there and the fear. You know, people were really afraid of what they were saying. There's those of us who've been talking about the far right for years. There's those of us who've been involved in kind of anti-racist organising for years. But then there's people who, you know, might not have seen that so explicitly that we're starting to see really horrible things happen on the streets and really scary stuff happening and people mobilising. Um, and I think it just showed Again, it's this thing, you know, Stevie was talking a couple of weeks ago about the Overton window shifting. What was once unacceptable to say has suddenly become acceptable. Absolutely explicit racism, like standing outside a direct provision centre, chanting out, out, out. And a lot of people, I think, were afraid to counter that. They were afraid to get into arguments, get into conversations and, you know, kind of challenge some of what was being said because the level of kind of violence and intensity coming back at them was really intimidating. I think what Saturday showed and just the absolute breath of people that came out on the streets was that, you know, we are the majority, that the the majority of people don't actually feel like that. And people traveled from all around the country. And it was like a really, again, really broad, huge. And I think what made it so special was that it was led by community groups. You know, some people did turn up and, and they, you know, that didn't go down too well. But on the whole, I think it was it was the for all groups. It was the likes of Mazzy. It was United Against Racism. It was the average Irish traveler movement. It was feminist groups. It was local, regional, uh, African community groups. It was just really, really broad. And it was a, just an incredible day. I mean, we had to start it off with Christy Moore and Bernadette McAllister. That like it was oh, it was just unbelievable. I, I kind of still haven't got over it. The, and the crowd that stayed for so long during the day as well. Like it was just it felt like a little, a little bit of a line in the sand. I think it gave. A lot of us a little bit of hope. It feels like it's changed the tone and the mood a little bit. But listen, it was one day. I mean, the actual work and the organising now is back in communities and it's that's where the work is going to be done. It's going to be trusted voices. It's going to be, you know, community leaders. It's going to be the local for all groups, community groups, community workers that are actually going to have the impact, you know, on, on, on this going forward because we've seen, and, we, you know, we talk, I hate even, there's a, there's a particular right-wing outlet that have come up with a video about the day and it is, frightening how polished it is it's genuinely like something off fox news and they're they're very obviously copying that kind of format and they've you know they've they've put together a video that makes it out that the day was like ngos and political parties pump and union trade unions pumping money into opposing working class communities and how they've put it together is really clever and i think it's going to suck a lot of people in you know as someone who was heavily involved in the organizing i know how much of it is absolute it's all lies like but I think that um it's going to soak people in and it's frightening how sophisticated they are and how much money they're pumping into the, the right wing media stuff. And I think that we are we are really kind of behind them and we need to, you know, on, on a wider scale, like the, the the mainstream media, you know, really need to be careful about what they're sharing and platforming and the kind of rhetoric that they're, you know, allowing to become normal because, 
you know, there was a, an office committee during the week and the children's committee on integration. And, you know, Fianna Fáil, Ned O'Sullivan uh, came in and was talking about how, you know, there is no far right in Ireland. And it's like the fact that we even have people still saying that, and he was comparing, you know, far right and far left. And it's like Mark Malone made the really excellent point that anybody that says that is not affected by it and is, you know, isn't put at risk, isn't in an in increased risk of violence. And also, just because people aren't elected doesn't mean it's not affecting communities and it's not actually a threat to democracy. So, yeah, it was a brilliant day, but the real work is going to be in the communities. It's political education. It's going to be projects like this. And I think that we really need to keep our eye on the ball and stay mobilised. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also saw that Lakela presented to the Oireachtas Committee as well. So it's great to see, like, from from the streets and into the doll that there was no getting away from the, the decision makers here, getting away from the conversation that's been had. Um, and you're dead right about the the piece about the media, like, and the responsibility they have that we've talked about here a couple of times around the kind of language that um they're using to kind of you know deliberately um repeat lines like that the far right would be using but also like there's an element of clickbait media as well where you see the likes of Ona Mali who we've, we've spoke about on this pod before saying like deliberately highlighting um controversial um opinions that know that will bring in like far right rhetoric um it's really really disingenuous and really irresponsible um but I think you're dead right it is it's it is about going back into the communities I know like in the lead up to the protest and we've seen it in I'm sure across all of our community groups where people felt a bit frozen about how to act and what to do when they saw their neighbours or you know their community group someone in their community group or their group chat you know starting to spew hate um around particular around around um racism um and anti-migrant sentiment in general and I think now when we've seen how many people came together and all of the community groups that were represented, that hopefully that will give people the confidence and, as you say, the hope to continue to fight this. And I think something that was really important about it as well was actually redirecting where the anger should be. Like, I know, I know a lot of the, the, the hateful vocal minority, you know, are very clear about who they like where where they believe the blame is to lie but actually um what happened what the protests on Saturday obviously showed that you know we should be directing this is against the government and that obviously was um then when you saw the response to when the Green Party then turned up to the protest then that was very clear that people were very confused about you know why they were there and we were talking about how actually it's the policies um on housing and healthcare um that and and services that are actually leading people to become you know drawn into these hateful sentiments in the first place so who is responsible for those policies and that is the government that's Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael unfortunately um, and and the Green Party um, who are in government together with them so like yes I understand that the Green Party is trying to make a position of saying that yes we're anti-racist but actually the action that are leading people to into these hateful movements are the policies of the government and I think that needs to be said um but yeah it, it was an interesting to see see that happen but I think that housing for all services for all and healthcare for all messaging was really strong in showing that you know in order to have like in order for, for us to say that we are anti-racist it means that we, we we also stand on this platform of we need the government to fix um, our, our, you know, our general, general society at the moment. So, like the, this is what the government have done. Um, to to lead to hate and division, and actually coming together in that collective was a really important stand on Saturday, which is brilliant to see. Yeah, and it's like the, there's been a lot of talk about how you mobilise that amount of people. So obviously there was criticism from some government parties who, you know, tried to make this out to be just an anti-racist. And I mean, the thing is, I could say you, I, I would argue it was because to be 
institutionally anti-racist, you have to be critical of an apartheid direct provision system that basically tells, you know, white refugees that they will have a certain, you know, a, a larger payment, access to housing and access to increased supports. Let's be honest, black and brown refugees can go and live on the streets. Like when we have hundreds of people now on the streets with no payment that have come in through the, the, the asylum seeking process. That is intrinsically, you know, a institutionally racist system. The housing crisis is what's sucking people in. People, you know, the, people are repeating the these far right tropes because they, they're believing them. They're saying that, you know, I have you know, three generations of one family living in one house and these people are getting houses. And as much as we know that a lot of that isn't true, that people are going into really inhumane conditions, the fact is, is that when you're talking to people who are already in a state of fear, already in a state of panic, they're not thinking straight as well. And then they're, they're just rolling in behind some of this. And it's, that is exactly how they win and that's like the community piece I really feel strongly about the community piece and that's where we do the work but that will also only go so far if these neoliberal government policies continue because things are going to get worse and also with the climate crisis and climate destruction like migration and, and asylum seeking is only going to increase like we are in no way prepared for this and nothing but system change and a radical system change an anti-capitalist system that can provide for all of us is going to actually fix this Stevie often quotes Lenin, Stephen Nolan, who's a regular on this podcast, and he'll always quote Lenin and say, you know, fascism is capitalism in decay. And we're seeing that happening in front of us. And what we're seeing from the likes of, I was touching, I think, next, from the likes of particularly Fianna Gael, they actually go more hardline. They're actually, you know, becoming more neoliberal and their policies are actually getting worse in response to this. And let's be honest, they benefit from this because what's happening is, is that, you know, fascists and far-right parties are actually attacking left-wing parties and, and, and centre-left parties. And that's actually where the damage is done. They're convincing working-class communities to act against their own interests, particularly. And what we'd be left with is another Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael government. Like, that's actually, you know, what's going We also really need really strong and consistent leadership on this across the left. We need to make sure that everybody has been unequivocal in in not allowing these kind of ultimately inherently racist protests to be normalised or legitimised just because the actual issues are legitimate in the in the community and there needs to be a distinction between them I, I was on a podcast the other day with Darren Adelaide and he was talking about how there's a difference between explaining and excusing we can understand why this is happening in communities without excusing anybody going and standing outside a centre shouting out 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 but yeah. also, and I'll just let, let everybody know so you know in where Ireland for All is potentially going to go we had a meeting last night. It's obviously, you know, a really kind of broad network of people. We're going out and kind of information gathering. We're going to be uh, making contact with people over the next week. We're going to be asking people to kind of get involved and, and really try to drive some kind of movement building that centres that anti-government policy piece. So we're, we're giving people an avenue to direct that frustration, to show what the kind of country we do want and that everybody deserves and also centering, you know, a, a kind of solidarity message at the same time. That's great to hear. And I, I know there are lots of efforts, you know, to to support um people on the ground, support uh, refugees and asylum seekers on the ground as well, but also building up the confidence of community members to be able to have these difficult conversations in our community. Um, like, for example, we're doing it locally in Waterford where there was a flashpoint around a hotel. Um, and I'm sure the same story can be said for a lot of places where there's a flashpoint around a certain hotel. Um. In, in our local area. So it's just about building up the confidence of our community members to be able to respond to this because it's quite clear from the numbers on the street that, you know, the hate is not welcome in our communities, that division is not welcome in our communities and coming together and knowing where the next steps are for that is going to be important now because there's obviously a huge movement behind this. But I think, as you say, uh, Claire, a lot of this is connected in with, like, you know, the fact that Fine Gael are 
absolutely like they, they, they are becoming more neoliberal like and when you see the the likes of the cost of living uh, measures that were announced um during the week um it's it's just frankly not enough um and you know the targeting of a lot of those cost of living measures you know the the way that Fianna Gael will obviously message it or Fianna Fáil message it is, you know, we're targeting it for the people who need it the most, but actually we're, <laughs> this is a cost of living crisis. Um, these targeted measures are only missing out on the, the very people who will need it as well. Um, and it just doesn't go far enough. Um, you know, it, go, it goes back to this whole, are we, balan- are we balancing the books, this budget, or are, are we actually um, using our, our tax money to support people in the way that we need uh, to be supported? Yeah, 100%. I mean, 1.3 billion. But it's like, so one of the one of the measures is, you know, potentially 100 euro extra child benefit, a 200 euro payment for a, a lot of kind of social welfare recipients. But that's one payment in one month. And I'm sure it would be very welcome for people who are literally deciding between paying their bills and putting food on the table. But it's 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 back to, we've had great episodes in this where we talk about what Conor McCabe has explained, the budget in terms of capital and current spending. This is all current spending. There's no long-term investments. There's no long-term capital. There's no long-term change. You know, so what people can eat for a month and then what about next month? And what about the month after that? Like there's no windfall tax. There's no, and there's no real addressing kind of energy costs. You know, we're, we're just yeah. increasing social transfers. That's all we're doing. And we're doing it in a really minimal way. And it's, it's money that I won't say it's wasted money because again, it's very welcome for people who you yeah. know literally can't keep the lights on. Of course it is, every penny is, but it's just it's it's it doesn't go nearly far enough. And also, like the money that's in the country at the minute, like we have we're awash with money and they're saying that they don't know how to spend it. There was Jennifer McNeil like was on Katie Hannon a couple of weeks ago talking about how, you know, we were in the exact opposite situation, openly saying this to the Celtic Tiger, where we had loads of people to build and no money and now we have loads of money and we can't build or we can't we can't act basically and it's just like we can't act under a neoliberal system because they won't you know it's like the the housing crisis or the the lack of accommodation for uh, refugees we're looking at local community halls rather than cpo-owned buildings and just taking over empty buildings that are there and that's why this system will never provide for us like the system that we have in place particularly under you know, a neoliberal government, but it's a neoliberal system. So, you know, we're going to be limited even in what we can do if we do get kind of a centre-left or left-wing party in there. And I think we need to start having those conversations that we need structural system change. Like this system isn't, it's just, unless we have really radical measures and I don't see them happening anytime soon, like on the one vein, we're talking about the cost of living crisis and all these very piecemeal measures that are being brought in and in the same breath, politicians in the doll. Uh, are talking about potential supports for small landlords I mean it's it just beggars belief it's just like this acting like you know small like small landlords aren't taxed in the same way anybody else is it's a it's for profit you know what I mean like they're making money and they're being taxed on it and acting like the poor landlords when we're coming up to an eviction ban you know like let's just let's actually get into what happened in the doll the other day because I mean the so PPP put forward a bill, you know, an eviction ban bill to extend to basically a bill to extend the eviction ban that's already in place, which by twelve months. Have, by twelve months. And even though we yeah. have an eviction ban, homelessness is still rising. So like that's how bad things are at the minute. That even with an eviction ban, the homeless figures have gone to record. Well, look, numbers. the eviction bans will only work to a certain extent. It's the very least that we should be talking about because yeah. with all eviction bans, those laws have absolutely no teeth in them. So people are being evicted regardless, um, and that's just that's just the way it is. People yeah. are being evicted, and what you go to, you go to the RTB and you're put you're put into a, a whole rigmarole for what three four months while you're still home. 
you know, so it doesn't actually solve the initial problem of people being evicted legally. And like, obviously we've seen um, over, you know, over the last number of years of like, you know, illegal evictions being facilitated by the guards and everything up to that point. Um, but I think that that point that you're going to make around the junior minister um, accidentally forgetting to oppose um, the PVP bill that went forward to extend the, the 12 month ban was very interesting. Um, because then I think off the back of it, then you had the Fianna Gael uh, party meeting. They, there was uh, TDs and senators and Fianna Gael saying that they couldn't possibly support an eviction ban extension because continuing a ban would alienate a group that traditionally supports the party. So essentially what Fianna Gael are saying, we are a landlord party, happily able to say that, um, and we'll only make the rules that will suit landlords. And as you say, this is at the absolute height of... Um, a housing crisis like we just found out this week again that we've beaten our other previous records in homelessness um but at the same time you still have like as you say landlords i was listening to one on news talk that there was landlords on saying you know oh we, you know we were told us poor little landlords we were told to invest in our invest in future in the future for people by buying up these houses for our pension funds or whatever it is but actually what realistically if you reframe that is just these landlords are hoarding up housing and like it's not like when um like and if they if, if at one point they were told by their lovely landlord party Fine Gael that they should be investing in housing to invest in their future then they would that's a completely wrong message like that kind of that thinking has locked so many people away from secure housing for themselves um yeah but I just think it's really really interesting but like with this um extension of the uh, eviction man like obviously this is the very least we should be talking about um exactly. and it's not you know like we, we saw the effect either. that's had during no it's not but like as you said like it, it did have an effect during covid where there was less yeah. people and we're talking about children and families being pushed into homelessness like onto the streets and into emergency accommodation but like still in that ban um, you know, I had a number of friends who were evicted from their homes during for landlord selling. Um, but they 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 were like, well, what's the point? Like, there's no point in us like you know going up and reporting that because at the end of the day, the house is still going to get sold and they still have to move on. So while they scrap scramble to try and find another place, they're not they're not willing to put up the fight a lot of the time. So yeah. because there is no real repercussions for landlords when it comes to um that, and renters are browbeaten um and in precarious situations where often they don't feel like they're in a, challenge, a position to challenge it. But luckily, obviously, we have um the the uh CATI, which is the community action tenants union which is growing across ireland and it's brilliant because essentially we've just as like as people in precarious living situations have just had to take a stand for themselves and collectively try to resist landlords because everything else has been failing them um so when these landlords are completely taking the mick and no one else is standing up for them and the structures that are there to report the landlords or whatever don't have any teeth aren't and aren't that useful um you know that, that, that we have to stand up for ourselves and Katu have had some really you know really significant wins recently like their actions are having an impact yeah. they're getting really good responses they had one up in Ballymun just last week and like it's working and it's, it's it's so impressive it's a really grassroots it's movement building it's you know a proper actually movement building and people affected by the situation being in control of their own circumstances and it's uh we need more of it like we massively need more of the type of Katu so if anybody's listening and they're not a member first of all, join Katu, because it is, yeah. you know, it's a really significant way of organising against this stuff. And we've seen mm -hmm. so many illegal, like, I feel like there's been a real increase, increase in illegal evictions and, you know, images of people being violently evicted. Like, I feel like that hadn't seemed as prevalent for a while. And there seems to be more and more videos of that kind of thing coming up, out again. And it's, um, 
it's horrible. There's just such a lack of respect for people and a lack of respect or any kind of fear for the, you know, the kind of like the RTB or the, the measures that are in place for people to go and take cases. Yeah, but look, the, realistically, the measures that are in place are like pretty much toothless in, in, in a way where you won't get any um, outcome for months after the fact of the problem. And as we know, a lot of these illegal evictions happen very immediately. You're not given notice uh, by the law and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't support you in that very moment. And we've seen how guards roll in and often um, facilitate these um, evictions as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you know the only thing we have to protect protect each other is ourselves um in this regard because um you know and that's why katu um and the likes are so so important and because like right now like we've the record high homelessness so what was it 11,754 people homeless um this as of this week and that's 3,340 the government has come to power and that that's our agent and that's only talking about the the homeless part of it then you're talking about like what like well what's the why why are these things happening rents are going through the roof all of that like I know for in Waterford for example um, their rents were up 20% in Waterford City alone um, in just a year. So 20%. And this is when we have a rent pressure zone that's supposed to be only a couple of percent. Um, and part of cities like Waterford, for example, aren't even covered by that. So like everything is really set up to fail, um, in my opinion. Um, and really all these half measures aren't actually tackling the, re- the root of the problem. And as you say, yeah. like there's, you know, 166 thousand um vacant homes across the island that you know the government aren't acting on fast enough um yeah. and and aren't actually you know investing in that as um a more you know long-term solution it's all of these kind of cover the cracks cover the crack oh um what what will our poor landlord uh voters uh think of this and like really they Fianna Gael have shown now that everything that they do is now is for the landlord voters than they are landlord party like from that comment that we saw during the week yeah and like people again we're talking about people having trust or any kind of faith that the system or government or even at politics at this stage has the ability to change these things because it is when you look at particularly what's happening over in like England at the minute with the strikes and you look at the the small wins that the likes of Katia was having and you see how the trade union movement really has the power to mobilize people or our trade union movements like the mobilization of people whether it's workers whether it's tenants whether it's people and just with some kind of shared connection around an issue has the potential to invoke a lot more trust in people as well I mean you look at like on that eviction ban stuff, the the junior planning mis- minister who basically forgot to oppose the eviction ban, like it was farcical. We, you could stick some Benny Hill music behind what happened in there, and like it was just ridiculous. And it's now passed into the second stage. And what I basically what will happen is Fine Gael will just oppose it later down the line. And it's just so much wasted time and wasted. It's not, they're not serious. They're not serious people who have any kind of intention of trying to make people's lives better. That's no, just at the basic no. Yeah. and it was really, really interesting because there's a piece in the Irish Examiner this week that I have in front of me and uh, like around the, talking about the eviction ban, um, they were saying lifting the eviction ban will make, oh yeah, I'm sorry, the, the NGOs and the charities are saying that lifting the eviction ban will make the situ- situation worse. So you have the likes of like um, St. Vincent de Paul and the Simon community coming out and saying like what Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are saying is absolute drivel and what they're saying this is a new line the current ban is creating a new form of homelessness this is leo radker as people returning from ireland from or returning to ireland living abroad are finding they are unable to move back into their own homes and again this shows you he doesn't actually care about solving the overall problem of 
um, yeah. you know, addressing homelessness. What he cares about is his landlord and property owner friends. They're the ones that he cares about first and foremost. And he doesn't care about the 11,700 people who are already on the streets. He cares about the couple that are coming back probably, um, you know, as economic migrants somewhere else. So that they have their property that they had here, um, you know, that they want to evict the family out of that so that they can they can um, move back into that. But you're talking about moving more families into homelessness, but he doesn't care about that. What he's focusing on about is the people coming back, returning, returning to Ireland, but not actually the 11,000 people who are already on the streets here. So I thought that was very interesting. And then, of course, yeah. you have Michal Martin saying, oh, we'll drive out small landlords out of the sector as if the actual property units go with the landlords themselves like it's just constantly hearing this line over and over again um but actually what we should be focusing on is the fact that um you know landlords don't create housing you know the house or department is still there it's not disappearing with the landlord you know the actual problem which we talked about before is that the, the there's huge institu- institutional investor landlords you know designed to make as much profit as they possibly can by buying up all of these houses and, and going to sale. So now we know that some parts of Dublin, these pr- property investors control over 40% of properties and can actually set the rents in these areas. So like you can talk about small landlords leaving the market, but where is all their worry for the big institutional landlords that are actually buying up all these homes um, and then renting them out at astronomical rates that, that families can't afford? So where is the outrage for that? But no, let's talk about small landlords as if the house is running away with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'll, but again, it's just distraction. It's just as long, and it's it works when people are worked up and angry and focusing on what are realistically easier concepts to talk about and to understand, and don't take as much mental energy. Sometimes the stuff is just so draining to engage in. But getting into the whole wreath thing and the fact that like government policy could could stop that in its tracks and actually massively change the, the housing landscape in Ireland. It's just, con- we're, we're constantly getting moved away from it. We we see every now and again when there's a, a scandal like up in Kildare and Mead when whole estates were being bought up and government parties are coming out and we're not going to let that happen anymore because it's affecting their voters. And nothing actually happens. There is no, you know, institutional policy change. There's no policy change that actually does change that on a significant level. They write something that might convince people it does. People get distracted with something else and, and we move on. I mean, you're talking like you're talking to Martin there, someone who basically said there's a lot of people who in politics who did far worse than Bertie O'Hearn. This is the level of integrity we're dealing with in, in Irish politics. And, you know, I suppose while we're on the doll and while we're talking about the Oireachtas, and we spoke, we have spoken about it the past couple of weeks, but like the mother and baby home vote that happened during the week is just, it's just unbelievably shameful. And it's, it's another example of how words don't mean anything in that chamber because so many of the people who voted you know, particularly the Green Party, you know, so many people who voted to exclude a massive amount of people based on how long they spent in a mother and baby home. Regardless of, there's people who, you know, who were used in, in medical experiments as children. There were people who's, who had very um different experience in terms of like this whole groups of mixed race children who experienced institutional racism. And because of that had disproportionately worse experiences and very, you know, specific experience and experiences in some homes. Um, none of that has been recognized. And I think that it's another one of those things where we're gonna have another report in 20 years' time where we look back at how the state actively traumatized people who had already been traumatized for years. And it's like it's a it came down to money and it, it it's just absolutely cruel. It's just like I saw Holly, Holly Cairns, um, who as an aside looks like potentially might be the new leader of the Soft Downs if, if the papers are to be believed. I saw her on Katie Hannon there last week, and I think one thing she did very well was just express the absolute cruelty. And she was she kept kind of badgering the 
the government rep that was on at the time about the arbitrary measures that had been put in place to exclude people, but also how they admitted themselves if they actually publicised why why those measures happened and what they were, that they would further traumatise people. Like it, it. I just, I, I don't really have anything else to say other than it's, it's absolute cruelty. You have the thalamolide survivors talking about sixty one years later on the late late show. They're still waiting for um for some kind of redress or compensation. Like this government literally waits for people to die. It's what they do. It's what they've done with the Stardust. Where we are, you know, a couple of weeks away from an, an inquest. But it, it, it's hard to believe these aren't institutional decisions. These aren't decisions that are actively being made to have to. And then you look at the, we talked last week about the, um, the nursing home fees and things like that. What has happened with the mother and baby home? It, it, it just shouldn't be allowed to, to be forgotten about. And it shouldn't be allowed to, just because a vote has passed, that this is the end of it. Because it, it's unbelievable cruelty from a, a state that actually inflicted this trauma and, and profited from this trauma in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Another story that I was reading this morning was on, um, was in the Irish, it's, it's from Paige, because like, obviously during the week, um, it was the one year anniversary of um the Ukraine, um, inv- Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So obviously, um, there's been a lot of talk about this and, ob- and it, it even ties into what we've been talking about before, about people seeking asylum. Um, but yeah, in the story, it talks about how Ukrainians, you know, they they feel safe here, and they're you know they're very thankful and I'm delighted, and I'm delighted, you know, of course we should be supporting um anyone who needs to seek asylum here. And there's been a couple of different polls during the week saying, you know, that Irish people believe that the the state have like quite highly um agreed with their response compared to other EU countries, which is interesting. Um, and yeah, obviously we're. And talking about the the eviction ban, homelessness, we're seeing a lot more international protection people on the streets now as well. So people are arriving seeking asylum, and they're going straight onto the streets. So I think there's like two hundred and eight people this week, um, who are international protection applicants, and they're on the on the streets. So you know, it's it's interesting when we look back, like you know, one year of of this um of this war, um. And we're talking about, you know, the impacts it has on people um, and, you know, supporting people when they arrive and everything. But what we're not really hearing as much of is like how we really tackle the root cause of this issue. Now, I did see um, during the week, which is the war itself, obviously, you know, if we didn't have this war going on, we wouldn't need to be worrying about um, all of these people who've had to flee their own homes and up upend their lives and move move across um the world to seek safety which obviously shouldn't be the case at all we should really be talking about you know um a solution of, of peace a ceasefire all of that so it was interesting to see there's the irish neutrality league and they are a kind of a coalition of um tds uh politicians i can and senators um from what i can gather and they were launched i think in september um and you see they put out a statement on the one year anniversary saying you know that they need peaceful solutions to the war and the war is terrible and that we need to push for a ceasefire and peace negotiations so um I might just actually read it out because I'm not sure a lot of people have seen this because I haven't haven't seen it being reported on um in other places so it obviously talks about you know that the war has already cost thousands of lives of civilians and um soldiers and you know the homes have been destroyed and that it's a massive crisis humanitarian and refugee crisis off the back of it um and the impact that this had globally on food prices etc and that you know obviously the invasion is being condemned um as illegal um and that there's you know there's terrible tactics where people dying and people being bombed and it it's yeah it's just very worrying because we're not really talking about obviously you know open how to open the peace negotiations there's a couple of people who have put their head above the parapet and, and have said it but I think we need to be coming out stronger like it's a year on now um and you know 
as as we said before, like the only winners of an, this escalation are the arms manufacturers and, you know, the people who are backed into the industrial mil, military industrial complex, um, you know, in, in whether that be in Russia or NATO or wherever it is, um, who just want increased um spending on um armaments. And like we actually saw um Lezensky go to um into the EU meetings as well, like calling for more funding for arms as well. But actually what we really need to be hearing is, you know, wh- where does this stop? Like, uh, like how, wh- how, yeah. how long can this continue? You know, we really need to be talking about ceasefire negotiations and peace and like how we can stop upending people's lives. And so that they do have to be seeking asylum um, in other countries. Um, and I think uh, if, if what I did find interesting as well, though, because I was having a look at that um, Irish Neutrality League statement and it's signed by... Francis Black, uh, PVP uh, TDs, Joan Collins, uh, a couple of senators, Tom Colan, C- Conlon, uh, Irish, uh, Alice Mary Higgins, Eileen Ifeilan, um, and Lynn Nguyen. But what I did notice was at the launch of the Irish Neutrality League, Sinn Féin were actually at the launch in September. So you had, um, for example, you had Chris Andrews who was at the launch in September, but his name is not on the end of this statement or, or no, nor is Sinn Féin mentioned. So that's interesting after a couple of months, yeah. the launch of this, that, you know, when it actually comes to what do we mean by Irish neutrality? Well, it means yeah. calling for peace negotiations and his name and Sinn Féin's name is not attached to this statement, even though they were involved in the launch of the league. So I just wanted to kind of point that out as well. But also that's during the week. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not... It's it's one of those unspoken things, but I'm naming it now because I've I I spotted it. So um... no, but it's it's courage. It actually is having the courage of your convictions on a on mm. a party, like again, or an institutional level. Because what's happened in, in particularly in the media, and what's dominated is this device of like you're either with us or against us. You're either for Ukraine or against the Ukrainian. Mm rather than it being about trying to save as many lives as possible yeah. and having the courage to talk about peace because for, you know sometimes it can be a very fluffy concept when people talk about it without having to engage in what that actually means but actually there have been opportunities before those conversations happen people are like oh so does that mean conceding to Russia does that mean this and it's like instead of just everybody arguing about what the potential outcome of those talks would be and what kind of a you know a bound down to Russia that would mean mm. it's have the talks just engage in the talks and rather yeah. than you know rather than kind of trying to fuel more war coming from people who are never going to be affected by it really you know for people in very comfortable positions who are profiting off the back of it it takes real courage to stand up yeah. and dollar to sign a, a statement like that and unfortunately we're not seeing enough of that kind of courageous leadership yeah and look we've said we've said it before in this podcast as well like there is a lot of bad faith um around it when people are trying to deliberately derail a conversation of like you know, it's not whether you're one side or the other. It's actually just talking about saving people's lives, like peace negotiation. It, and people are being disingenuous and are ba- being bad faith um actors by saying it is, it's X, Y, Z, and that's it. There is no grounds for discussion. But like what that's led to is where is the discussion for peace? Um, it, It's just not, it's just not as open as, it's just not as, um. well, you're definitely not reading it in the papers this morning. But I think as well, like during the week, we even saw that, you know, it's obviously not in the interest of our government because our government are sending Irish defence forces now to train up Ukrainian soldiers. And like we are supposed to be a neutral country and that is absolutely violates the principles of neutrality and it puts 
our, our state and our citizens like in the firing line when it comes to taking position on you know in a war which that is you know if we you know we yeah. we've been slowly eroding our our position on neutrality the government have like from you know oh we'll send non-lethal aid but like that's still aid whether it's whether it's whether it like whatever you want to say it is you're sending aid to so uh you know a country that's in war um, and now we're we're training up uh, people so I'm just very concerned about that and you know we were seeing like a lot of like NATO saying like oh Ireland is a valued partner while we're not in the NATO membership but they're yeah. still coming out calling us partners and we're still participating in meetings and projects of NATO yeah. um, which is interesting because actually in the examiner this weekend there was an EU commission survey that said that uh, Ireland actually has the lowest support um, across the states for a common EU defence policy. So like our people yeah. are saying we don't want a common defence policy, whether that's within the EU or as NATO or what's really the difference at this point. Um, but yeah, it's, it is very interesting. And when I talk about not seeing like that kind of conversation around peace happening, there was a really interesting piece in the uh, Phoenix magazine um, this week as well, where um, it actually shows that RTE, the journal and Virgin Media receive big big amounts of funding to promote the government foreign policy but it doesn't disclose this on any of the foreign policy reporting so very interesting they get funding to promote the Irish government's foreign policy in RTE Journal and Virgin it's Peace in the Phoenix uh, magazine and they list the figures and everything um hundreds of thousands like uh very very interesting so like when when you see what the government want to do foreign policy yeah. wise even though it's against what the people want when we've surveyed yeah. the people that's not what they want it's very clear that the media are go- only going to promote what the government want to do yeah. because they're getting the funding to do that yeah and even the stuff around you know Irish troops taking part in military training the the defence that's it's, again it's just it's a slowly erosion of our neutrality that's been going on for a long time yeah but they talk about how um Irish troops will only be helping train troops to demine and, and they, it, we're not training them to act in any any forceful way and it's like yeah, what you're doing is you're freeing up space for another unit to be training them in in you know gun exercises or in bombing exercises or in, it's all part of a war machine. Yeah, it's a war machine, and the idea that yeah, obviously demining bombs and saving lives is brilliant and it's really important, but the the willful you know acting like they don't know exactly what they're doing and that the intention has always been to move us closer and closer to NATO until we get in a position where they say we can't back out now like we we can we're part of this and we've been mm. a part of this and we've benefited from this and then again they use the likes of publications that money is being directed into to to push a narrative that makes people seem like it's in their best interest I'm really disappointed to hear that I'm definitely gonna go yeah. with that well it's very well, it's very interesting because there was an Irish Times poll actually out this week as well that I want to flag. And the question that was asked was, should Ireland give military assistance to Ukraine? I just said military assistance. So whether you want to call that non-lethal aid, lethal aid, whichever. Um, the, interesting that the people came back and said, no, 54% of people do not want military assistance to Ukraine. So is that is that military assistance training? Probably. So we're yeah. saying, the people are saying no. Um, 32% of people said yes and 14% weren't sure. But when you actually break down the, the that, sur- that, that survey that was done by political party, 62% of Labour voters said yes, they would what? send. 62% of Labour voters said they would, that Ireland should give military assistance to Ukraine. Now, that's nearly double what all the other par- 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 uh, people who vote for other parties. So you have Labour, 32%, Greens, 39%. So 
the Green Party used to be like at the forefront of the pro-neutrality, anti-war, even if you're coming from an environmental perspective. But now we're seeing Labour, the party of workers, are happy to send military assistance to Ukraine and have workers die for war, which to me... Yeah, so they're just advocating for more people to die, uh, working yeah. people to die. So it's, I don't and, understand. And it, just, it speaks to like it speaks to that such a high proportion of your voters are leaning towards that you have to question what messaging you're given that is is making them support you. I mean that that's really significant. That's not just a couple of percent. That's massive. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's big, and it, it's interesting. Um, like I'm a member of um Unite the Union, and Unite is obviously spread across Ireland and Britain. Um, so often I'm in meetings with British workers as well. Um, but obviously the context there is completely different. Like Britain being like a massive part of the military industrial complex, but you know when I see the numbers of like, um, you know the labor labor party here, and like you know uh, to me, you know being pro-war like that is anti-worker but actually I, I've seen some quite hawkish um Unite members in Britain as well where you know where they're talking about you know how um basically like I, I for example um you know Unite represents workers in the British arms industry which is you know it's a bit controversial in in the way where you know are we talking about a just transition and move you know making yeah. sure those workers are protected in another another line look work the same that we do in our fossil fuels and stuff like that um and you know we need to acknowledge the need to provide alternative jobs but that industry overall is obviously bad for workers it's bad for the workers who go to war it's you know bad for the planet and like we can't be talking about you know just transition around the climate if we're not talking about around the arms industry as well which are one of the biggest polluters as we know so like if we want to be a greener union and more peaceful society is a greener society so you know it's it's I just find it very very interesting I, I remember being quite annoyed um in October when I saw there was the trade union congress which is the British uh congress conference and um, that they have um and yet there was a motion that was passed by the GMB that was proposed calling for a greater investment in the arms industry this was at a trade union conference where there was a motion put forward for greater investment in the arms industry and like you had this example of like people saying like, oh, it's so that the workers in the industry will get paid more. But like, that's an absolute farce. Like, we're that, like you know, if we're talking about supporting those workers, we should be talking about supporting them to move into a different industry, you know? Um, I remember Steve Turner, who was there on Unite, was like talking about how, you know, totally, you know, totally against the increased military spending because, you know, obviously all these arms going to Israel and we're pro-Palestinian. And then he still voted for the motion. So, like, you know, it's just it's sorry, I just got on no, a bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> I just find it interesting because, you know, you know, Labour talks about being the party for workers, but uh, to me, the position on um being involved in war like that is is absolutely not because as we know, like really um in order for us to have a greener society, you know, pro-worker, we need to have a peaceful society. So we need to talk about you know ending that that increased war industry um yeah just and even if we t- when we're talking about then obviously the effects of war on displaced people as well and it, it all it's all connected like it just to me it's just not the position and um, that you know trade union, yeah. yeah yeah any tra- any trade union should be inherently anti-imperialist anti-war it's outrageous you mentioned palestine there but and i listen I, we always usually try to end with a kind of positive story and this week we probably should have ended with the march um 
And unfortunately, we had a couple of days ago, we had, you know, 11 people killed by Israeli troops in the West Bank um, in an absolute massacre, another massacre of Palestinian people. And, well, you know, looking at all the talk around Ukraine and the one year on and and it's again, it's back to this conversation. It's not to distract or to say that it's not absolutely horrific what's happening to Ukrainian people. Anybody living under war is it, it's an absolute travesty. But it's it's a, just a constant reminder about how different lives are valued. This like we're having massacre, we're seeing massacres all the time in in Palestine. The videos that are coming out of the area are just absolutely horrific. I mean, again, I feel like there's been more and more recently as well, or maybe it's just that you know they're coming up on timelines and they're being shared a little bit more. People are taking notes a little bit more. I don't know, but. One thing really struck me last night, and it was a, it was a tweet on Twitter I came across. Some guy, he basically tagged in UK lawyers for Israel, and they had posted a letter basically saying, "We're delighted to report that Chelsea and Westminster Hospital has removed a display of artwork designed by children from Gaza." And as basically these like plates had been painted by children from Gaza, and I mean like and basically like explanations about their significance, and it, you know they were basically designed by children at two different schools in Gaza, and. I just thought what level of absolute cruelty and lack of any kind of empathy for for human beings do you have to get to before you're actually writing a letter as solicitors to have to have an, an artwork display taken down? I mean, the absolute mental gymnastics you have to get to when you have Palestinian children being chased from their homes, being beaten by Israeli soldiers, being shot, and then we're actually seeing stories and legitimizing of the idea that you know, these children from Gaza are somehow aggressors because they're, they're you know, creating artwork rep to represent their experience. And it's like, sometimes you just look out into the world and you think like, how can so many people not see the blatant cruelty that's going on out there? And how can we continue to accept that some lives are worth more than others? And yeah. And even if you talk about like the, the figures, like I was looking at um a story a couple of weeks ago and I'm sure the numbers have obviously gone up since like there's 50 Palestinians have been murdered by the Israeli state since 2023. So in the last two months, 50 and there was 11 children in that. What about those 11 children who have been murdered, you know, and here the Zionists are celebrating getting a piece of art off a wall as victory as to, a win. as a win when there's they've there's killed 11 children and they're like they're we're delighted to report i mean it just shows that the absolute lack of humanity at the center of these conflicts when if we heard of 11 if we heard of 11 white children being murdered in anything in any scenario we would rightly so be absolutely outraged but yeah because it's happening in palestine there's just an acceptable level of people turning their head away and not engaging and it's not good enough it's, it's just really not good enough yeah, no, that's it. Um, but on that not very positive note, unfortunately, yeah. we're gonna to have to wrap it up. But we'll try to get in a um a more positive story next week, and we'll finish yeah. off with that. But this has been the week at work. Uh, thank you so much to my co-host Claire O'Connor, and it's been me, Michelle Byrne. Um, but do give us a share. Um, on um Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, send it around. Um, and get get us out there. Um, so that more people can um be listened to our kind of analysis from this left left perspective on the news. Um, and we'll chat to you next week.